0: Today, we discuss the final day of Trump's term and the first day of Biden's. We discuss the media's fawning over Biden and Harris, and we analyze how we can prepare for what's coming in the next administration. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture. Explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. Very thankful to have you tuning in today. Honored that I have the opportunity to speak with you. Happy Thursday. I hope you all have had a fantastic week. A lot has happened in the news, obviously, and we are going to get into all of it today. But before we do, as always, if you enjoy the show, make sure that you share the show with your community. If you have not already and you'd like to, you can leave a positive review on Apple. That helps the show grow tremendously. If you'd like, to add yourself to the email list or donate to the show or contact me, you can do that at the website refiningpoliticsandculture.com. Also, I have mentioned this in the last two episodes, I'm starting to bring this show on the road a bit more. We're going to be doing some travel this spring, visiting a few cities around the country and would love to engage with you all in person. If you would like me to speak, publicly at an event, a home gathering, your church, whatever it might be, I would be happy to explore that with you. I'd be honored. And so the, the way that we can do this is if you are interested in that, if you would like to have me speak, Uh, for your group or gathering and uh, you want me to answer questions or engage with the topics that are most important to you and your community, I would be honored. You can reach out at my website, refiningpoliticsandculture.com, head to the contact me page, express some interest in that, and I will answer as soon as I possibly can with details of what that looks like so we can explore that. I am really thankful for the opportunity to engage with you all, not only in this digital space, but also uh, starting to do more so in person, which is going to be very exciting. So our schedule's filling up pretty quick for the spring. If that's something that you're desiring, make sure you reach out as soon as possible. And I really, really appreciate it. So let's jump into today. There's a lot that's happening in the news. Obviously, it was the yesterday was the last day of the Trump presidency and the first day of the Biden presidency. And... We have a lot that I could say on the Trump presidency, and we're going to reflect on the last four years, uh, multiple times, I'm sure, over the next coming weeks and months, because I really do believe Trump's one term was one of the most consequential presidential terms in U.S. history, Um, I believe, for the better. And for all of his faults, and every president has them, and for Trump there were many, just like for all of us there are many. Remember, all have fallen short of the glory of God, which is why when we're choosing political leaders, it is most important to look at... What will they actually do? We make our political figures in the United States out to be these sort of savior figures or these celebrities. My goodness, you could tell yesterday watching the inauguration of Biden, I mean, there's an entire chunk of our country that looks at this guy like a celebrity or expects them to somehow save them or offer some sort of value to their life as them themselves as a person. That's not the role of politicians. Politicians are policy figures what will they actually do in policy? That needs to be our number one litmus test for political leaders. Because if we're just like stacking up their personal faults against one another, that's not a good way to actually vet leaders. God has a long track record of using very broken people to accomplish righteous things. So I look at what will they actually do in policy? So for all of Trump's faults, and there were many, he was the greatest president of my lifetime, and there was not a close second. I firmly believe that. He fought for the lives of the unborn more than any president in history. He stood up for trade policies that protected our workers. He didn't sell them out to China. He stood up for Israel more than any president in history by far, started zero new wars, brokered four historic peace deals in the Middle East, stripped back regulation for small businesses, provided the 2017 tax cuts, helped low-income communities with focused incentive or investment incentives— your opportunity zones, enacted criminal justice reform that even his enemies couldn't help but support, by the way. He prioritized safety and order on our southern border. Remember, compassion and order. That was enacted on our southern border. I live in San Diego. I live in a border town. I can tell you that the wall has helped. He stood up for the church and filled courts across the nation, including our highest court with the most constitutionally principled judges and justices in the land. This is just a few examples of many of the accomplishments over the last four years. I really believe, too, what he's done in the judicial system with these different appointments will have the most lasting impact. Um, Also, I I think that He set the new standard for what it looks like in the Republican Party to be pro-Israel and pro-lives of the unborn. So I think that the bar has been raised for Republican leaders now on how pro-life they truly have to be to gain our support, Um, how pro-Israel they truly have to be to gain our support. We can thank Trump for that. Of course, there were lows in the last four years, and I was quick to call them out. I was not happy with everything that Trump did. There were moments where he did things or said things that I was very disapproving of even in the last month. And I've mentioned some of those. But at the end of the day, he was an outsider who came in. He tried to shake up the system. He was a bull in a China shop. And I honestly believe sometimes the China needs breaking. There were a lot of norms in DC that needed shattering. And Trump provided that. He was an unusual vessel. If you told me 10 years ago that the guy from The Apprentice would end up brokering peace deals between Israel and Bahrain, I would not have believed you, but it happened. So again, this is a testimony. God can do amazing things with broken leaders. The Bible's full of those stories. Trump was just another example of that. Even though he wasn't what we would call righteous on paper all the time, he fought for righteous things. He was never supposed to be a savior. He's a president. We have to stop idolizing these people. I, for one, am very grateful for the job he did. As I look back on the last four years, I can point to so many accomplishments. In fact, I I had this little list yesterday that I was looking through. I mean, there's over 100 accomplishments that I can be really, really thankful for in the last four years. That's incredible. And America, by the way, believes on the other hand, well, I'll say Biden's electorate heading into this next four years believes that Biden is righteous on paper. But when you look closer, you see that he's actually fighting against righteousness, at least my perception of righteousness based upon my interpretation of the scriptures. He's not fighting for righteousness. So he may look nice and polite on paper. But in reality, if you actually look at his record, again, I've talked about this in the show. I believe it's destructive. I would rather have someone who is uh, a little crass with the truth than polished with the lies. So nevertheless, I believe no one is beyond redemption. Biden and Harris's hearts can turn. I pray that they do. And I I pray that they fight for the same righteous causes that have been fought for over the last four years. I'll support that if there ever are those moments, and I'll hold them accountable and call it out when there isn't. And I really do believe that's our responsibility as participants in this democratic republic. So I'm committed to pray for Biden and Harris. I have been praying for Biden and Harris, for their families, for their lives, for their well-being, and also that their hearts would turn, that they would actually embrace righteousness, that they would embrace God's definition of truth, his definition of gender, his definition of health and community health and uh, that they would advocate for policies that are welcoming to the church and would embrace the the message and the spread of the gospel that would provide an environment for freedom and prosperity and liberty to be prioritized. So uh, there's a lot I could say on this, but at the end of the day, it's been quite a four, uh, it's been quite a 4 years. There's a lot of takeaways. We'll talk about more as we head into the future. Now, the the country is shifting the country's about to look very different. I talked about that on Tuesday. I believe for the worst, but at the same time, I believe that uh, just because we have a new presidential administration and our country's about to look very different, it does not mean that we as Christians, our call changes. Our, our call is still the same. Our mission is still the same. Engage in our local communities. Put our hands to what God has placed right in front of us. Make an impact in our local communities engage with your school board, your local politicians. We need to be focusing on that more than ever because your community needs to be a safeguard against the tyranny that's coming from the state and federal level. And if you disagree with me that there is even tyranny coming, uh, just look at what Biden did in the first day is my honest uh, approach to that. So that's that's Trump, the last four years, kind of where we're at now. Biden's inauguration. I I think yesterday described the current state of the Democratic Party incredibly well. And I don't mean to be overly partisan here. Um, But I I have committed to you all to be honest about where I stand on these different issues. I'm going to try to tell you just objectively what happened and then my interpretation of what happened and my opinion on what happened. I do believe that yesterday described where the Democratic Party is at currently very well. Yesterday, the inauguration was full of rich celebrities and secular culture leaders. It honestly looked like the Hunger Games. I mean, when Lady Gaga started singing, uh, (laughs) sorry, I, I honestly it looked like the Hunger Games. That's the best way I can word it. It looked like the Capitol, And we were all the little districts just watching. And we were supposed to cheer on this new administration that was surrounded by 26,000 National Guards members. Um, It it looked like something out of this dystopian sort of movie. It was full of empty platitudes, unity, healing, all these kind words. I saw so many people after the fact, even well-intentioned Christians say, man, you know what? I may not agree with him, but that was a really nice speech. Well, yeah, no, duh. Like, That's the whole point of speechwriters. They get paid so much money to frame a public relations image. They want to frame an image. They're not going to come in and frame an image of division. They're going to frame an image of unity. The fact that people are impressed by political speeches, I don't understand that. They don't mean anything. Again, that falls in line with this. We look at our political figures in our country to be some sort of celebrity. They're not. I'm not impressed by political speeches unless they're in moments of like, you know, triumph. We just won a war or something like that. Or we're about to head to war and we need to encourage the troops. I mean, those are the moments that you really look for political speeches to be inspiring or, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's not it's only inspiring if they actually practice what they preach is my point. And when you have, you know, presidential speeches that say unity and healing and change and hope and all these things, but you've spent the last four years calling the other side Nazis and white supremacists just because they support Trump, I'm sorry, but those empty platitudes fall on a lot of deaf ears because a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, you say unity, but at the same time, you you compared Trump to Joseph Goebbels, you know, just two months ago. And you're leading this whole charge right now to label anyone right of center as extremist. So... Uh, your your calls for unity i just don't buy it it's not real unity unity in their minds on the democratic side honestly this is the only interpretation that we can assume based upon how they've acted unity looks like agree with us and then we'll be unified if you don't agree with us you're an extremist you're a bigot you're a racist sexist homophobe white supremacist whatever it is but if you agree with us let's unify that's, that's their definition of unity. So that's something I learned yesterday too is that the these empty platitudes, these, these em, this empty rhetoric was on full display and a lot of people bought it and a lot of people ate it up because they just want to be told nice things. We as humans loved to have our ears just caressed. We love to be told nice, hopeful, uh, charming messages about unity because it makes us feel better about the status of our country. But if you actually peel back the curtain... Is that actually what our country looks like? Yesterday Kamala Harris tweeted that we're unified in an American spirit. How so? No we're not. Stop saying that. And that's okay. We we have vastly different visions of what the future of our country needs to look like. Don't pretend it's something that it's not. Yes, we are we are desiring to see an america that is e pluribus unum of many one that we have many different dreams and desires but we can come together as one and fight but to say that we are right now after you spent the last 4 years lambasting anyone that disagreed with you as an extremist i'm sorry but we don't we don't see unity in the same light you see hey we just got elected so now we're unified look we healed the country joe biden has said that explicitly and a lot of media pundits have cheered that on but that, that's not actually where our country is at. And so, for a lot of Americans, they bought it, they loved it, they ate it up, they thought it was inspiring, they thought it was beautiful. For a lot of other Americans, they're like, guys, I'm so tired of the empty rhetoric. This is exactly what Obama did for eight years. And even if I didn't like Trump at the end of the day, I'm glad he at least honestly told me what he thought. Joe Biden, you do not want to unify with me. You have expressively, uh, or you have explicitly expressed that multiple times over the last four years. You've called people that don't support you fat call dog face pony shoulders you've uh, you've argued with people anytime they've questioned you you've uh you've told a supporter when he's a union worker when he simply asked if you're going to take his guns away you cussed at him like I'm sorry this this fake image that the media has portrayed the the fake image that the public relations consultants have spent literally millions of dollars on i just I don't buy it and I would rather have you just be honest with me. Tell me you don't agree with half of the country, with 75 million people, and that you honestly believe that your way is better. I would respect that viewpoint far better. I'd say, you know what? Okay, fair enough. Well, you're in charge now. And so we're going to pray for you. And we're going to submit to your leadership, obviously. We're going to hold you accountable. And then in a few years, we'll have a chance to challenge that leadership and see if there's a different direction that the country can go in. But this, this fake Messaging Americans are just really, really tired of it, and we saw it yesterday. Also, remember, I did a video about this a few months ago where I talked about what is biblical unity and the actual definition of unity. Remember, there, if we're unifying on unrighteous ideals, if we're unifying around distorted, perverted views of truth, that's actually not unity that we should even be engaging in the first place. So, it's important to remember that as well. Like Christians, we should not want unity just for unity's sake. The Bible's actually very clear about what to unify around and what not to unify around. If our culture is embracing destructive messages and part of unifying includes dropping all of our convictions, that's not a unity that we should want. There's so many people that are lining up for unity And it actually requires them to disregard the convictions that they hold dear in their heart. That is not the goal of unity. That's a false sense of unity. That's the unity that led to the Tower of Babel. That's the unity that leads to a globalism that's centered upon transhumanism rather than the true righteousness that God requires and the actual unity that God calls us to within the body of Christ. So, I digress. (laughs) I also want to mention that yesterday was a, a massive telling sign of just how far gone the media truly is. And I only share this because I so desire for journalistic reform. I desire for a future in which journalists are honest and they're objective and they fight for the truth and they're willing to speak truth to power to both sides of the aisle. But unfortunately, yesterday we saw mainstream media line up to celebrate Joe Biden as their savior. Uh, a lot of these media institutions went as far as to almost worshiping the guy. It was, it was disturbing. Honestly, North Korean state media doesn't even talk as fondly of Kim Jong-un as some of the journalists yesterday talked about Biden here in the United States. So I'm going to give you a few examples. This is from the New York Times yesterday. Whether or not related to the former president's absence, a bipartisan lightness seemed to prevail across the stage. In Joe Biden's inauguration, snow flurries gave way to sun. What a great love story between Jill Biden and Joe Biden, MSNBC host Joy Reid said at one point yesterday. It's a wonderful story, and we haven't had a love story in the White House in four years. ABC News' uh, Brian Pitts called Biden Papa in Chief, very weird, while MSNBC's Brian Williams declared that the country was back and under new management. Uh, Reid also said that the, quote, old America had lost the 2020 election and hoped, quote, new America wins the war. Again, so much unity, guys. This is Joe Biden's day, but actually it's not Joe Biden's day. It's the country's day, gushed CBS's John Dickerson. MSNBC's Chuck Todd labeled Biden the better angel president. The Atlantic said one of the simple enduring images of the day, Kamala Harris's hair blowing in the wind as she took the oath. No one with longer hair, in other words, a woman, has ever taken the oath of office outside the Capitol before because she's the first woman to do it. Again, that was an Atlantic journalist. By the way, I want to take a quick pause here. I posted something on my Instagram last night that I got a lot of feedback on, and I want to share it with you all now, related to what I saw yesterday, specifically regarding Kamala Harris's gender. So I said, quick rant, I'm seeing a lot of well-intentioned Christians today celebrating female representation in the office of vice president without consideration for what Kamala actually stands for in policy. Representation for representation's sake should not be the goal. I heard a lot of people quote this yesterday. Even though we disagree, it's great to see a woman in the office of VP. That's a very slippery slope if you actually follow that train of thought to its logical conclusions. Make sure you're not celebrating someone's rise to an office that gives them more power to promote ungodly policies, all in the name of, quote, supporting representation. And then I said, if you feel tempted to join the cultural chorus on social media and celebrate the first female VP... Ask yourself, can I actually name even five policy positions she's advocated for in the past? And would I stand behind those positions? Guys, Kamala Harris is the most radical senator in the United States. Well, she was. And now she's vice president. And honestly, let's be real, soon to be president. So I saw a lot of people yesterday say, this is a woman my daughters can look up to. This is a historic day. That is, that is pure identity politics to the core. You are celebrating someone's rise to an office solely because of characteristics they have no control over. We need to be pursuing a meritocracy where we are judged based upon our character, not on the color of our skin, our gender, or these characteristics about us that we didn't even have say in. By the way, how degrading is that to Kamala? You're in the office and we're celebrating you uh, solely because of your gender, not because of what you actually stand for or what you fought for, but because of your gender. Now, Democrats obviously celebrate her for both, but for a lot of the people that disagree with her that yet still celebrated her gender, you're just celebrating someone because that office is now represented by someone that looks like you. That's identity politics. We need to not be running in that direction. And I know that that sounds like a very countercultural message right now, but it really is true. By the way, the logic, if you follow the train of thought, leads dangerous places. Where's the line? Because right now, Kamala supports pro- legalizing prostitution, abortion all the way up to the point of birth, She's weaponized the Justice Department in California to come after pro-lifers when she was in California here. She's fought her entire career for suppressing the freedom of religion and forcing churches what type of curriculum to adopt and whatnot. She is a huge advocate of structuring our social society to pursue uh, perversions of the truth. So so, what's the line? When do you finally say, okay, I'm actually not going to celebrate that office holder um, just because of their gender, because of A, B, and C in policy? I think we've already crossed that line. So don't start down that path. Intersectionality and identity politics is a bad road to go down on. We should not celebrate representation just for representation's sake. We want to be careful about what we're actually celebrating and what we're not. There, there's, there's this this lie that so many well-intentioned, virtuous people believe where it's like, if I'm praying for someone, I also sort of have to celebrate them or that it's, it's unholy not to celebrate the new presidential administration. Guys, no, it's not. You can pray for them, love them, and hold them accountable and not celebrate their rise to an office that gives them more power to enact these ungodly policies. And that was my honest point from that, because I saw so many people yesterday celebrating her just because she's a woman, even if they disagree with her. And my point is simply that, that that's, that's celebrating the wrong things, first off. Why should I be happy about a woman entering office if the woman stands for everything that's completely antithetical to the gospel? That feels like a really silly thing to do. And again, it starts this bad precedent where we're, we're simply celebrating characteristics that people had no control over rather than what they actually stand for. And it just distorts the view of what the vice president is actually supposed to be, what the president is supposed to be. They're not supposed to be offices of representation. They're not supposed to be judged based upon what they look like. They're supposed to be judged upon what are you actually going to do in policy. So that's, that's my little rant there. Um, more New York Times. This is a headline. Not sure if this is just a sign or a coincidence But moments after, excuse me, not sure if this is a sign or just a coincidence, but moments after President Trump was sworn in back in 2017, it started to rain. Moments after Biden was sworn in today, the clouds cleared and the sun came out. Again, that's a New York Times journalist. I'm going to read that again because this is some like Chinese state run media sort of stuff. Not sure if this is a sign or just a coincidence, but moments after President Trump was sworn in back in 2017, it started to rain. Moments after Biden was sworn in today, the clouds cleared and the sun came out. This is Washington Post. Life and destiny converge to offer a new challenge for Joe Biden with this new presidential administration. This is also Washington Post journalist. Joe and Bo used to watch an eagle soar by the dock. Now, when Biden steps to a lectern, he'll be greeted by a presidential seal. It features, as its most prominent symbol, a bald eagle, a reminder of both what he has accomplished and what he has lost. Now, I'm not minimizing the loss in Biden's life. It's very sad. And I empathize with him and sympathize with him. But at the end of the day, Washington Post journalist, that's not your role. Your role is to report on what he's doing in policy. It's not to create this little memoir before he even enters office. There are authors that can do that. There are other sources that can do that. Uh, Partisan hacks can do that. People that just really are engaged with the Democratic Party, spokespeople for the Democratic Party. That's their role. But if you're saying that you're Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness, and that you want to speak truth to power, that's not the way to do it. This is... Perhaps the most shocking one, CNN political director David Chalian said, quote, this was on, by the way, Tuesday night. So uh, there were these lights that were reflecting out from the Lincoln Memorial. They were shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial and they were like, um, and it's kind of hard to describe. I'll I'll copy the video in my show notes, but uh, it essentially was this like light show um, by the Lincoln Memorial. And David Chalian from CNN said, those lights that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial along the reflecting pool. It's like almost extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It was a moment where the new president came to town and sort of convened the country in this moment of remembrance, outstretching his arms. First of all, I would rather not have Joe Biden's arms embrace me. Um, he's the president. He's not my father. He's the president. He's not like this grandpa kind figure. We have to stop doing this with political leaders. It's bad when, it's, when people did it to Trump. It's wrong when people are doing it to Biden. They are political leaders. They're not the savior. They're not like the moral head of the United States. If that's the case, we've had bad moral heads for really the entire history of the United States because everyone is broken, right? So if we're looking to people to embrace America with their arms metaphorically, that is really the wrong message. it's, It's the wrong message. And all it's doing is really laying a groundwork for the media not to hold Biden accountable at all over the next four years. So I would rather not have the government's arms embracing me. I would rather have my president do what's right. And I pray that Biden will. And the final one I want to mention, New York Times said, yay, back to a boring president I can ignore again. That was a New York Times journalist. And honestly... This encapsulates a really, really big problem with journalism. Let me read that again. Yay, back to a boring president I can ignore again. This is a political commentator for New York Times saying he's basically going to ignore Biden because he's boring. That's exactly what happened with Obama's presidency. A bunch of people had no idea what he was doing. So behind the scenes, Obama got to do whatever he want, get away with it, weaponize the IRS, start wars on foreign soil without congressional approval, enable a slave trade in Libya that is still going on today. So what happened during Obama's presidency, one of the most destructive things was that a bunch of journalists basically went on autopilot. They turned off, they, they liked the guy, so they weren't going to hold him accountable, and so Americans were left in the dark about what actually happened. I do believe firmly, because I followed the Obama presidency closely, that Obama was one of the most destructive presidents in U.S. history. He created more lasting damage to the state of this union than most presidents in U.S. history over that eight-year term. And Biden was a key integral part of that. A lot of what we're experiencing with China that's rising is directly related to how Biden acted as VP over that eight years. But you'd never know because the media didn't tell us. So for the eight years that Obama and Biden were in office, politics weren't even of great concern to many Americans. They didn't pay attention because it felt like, eh, you know, they're the hope and change guys. They're just nice and calm and the journalists don't seem to have much of a problem with them. So they're not reporting on them. That is what we're heading into for the next four years. So what does that make? What does that uh, do to us? What does that do to our role? What means that we have to press in more than ever and actually hold these leaders accountable because the media is clearly not willing to do it? We have to look at what are they actually doing in policy. We can't just trust the New York Times. They have been honest. They want to act more like Chinese state media for their government than they do actual entities that are supposed to objectively uh, report the truth about what's happening. So independent journalism is going to become more important than ever. And I'm actually even going to be a little partisan here to say that conservative journalism is going to be more important than ever. Because at least conservative journalists are incentivized to go report the truth on what the opposing party's administration is doing. So even embrace conservative media more than ever because at least they'll tell you what's happening. Now, they may put their bent on it, and they may uh, obviously tell their opinions on it as well, but at least you'll actually hear what's happening because they're going to make it their goal both in journalism, but also just because of their political beliefs to hold the opposing side accountable over the next four years. So a lot happening in journalism, but ultimately the status of modern American journalism, it, it's a broken, broken institution, and we're in deep need of reform. By the way, China state media was all over Biden's inauguration yesterday. In fact, an official Chinese state media account tweeted, quote, good riddance Trump with this big picture with good riddance written in the sky. They called Mike Pompeo a clown. They placed economic sanctions on a bunch of Trump officials, over 20 of them. Guys, when our number one adversary as a nation is happy your guy is in office, you voted for the wrong guy. I'm sorry. I'm going to call out my Democratic friends here for a second. When our number one enemy is a country, the country that really desires to see the United States drown in a sea of coronavirus, like the Chinese officials said in the past year, when that entity that's holding a million Muslims currently in concentration camps, committing genocide against their own people, when that entity that strips Christians of welfare benefits if they publicly proclaim the name of Jesus, that throws pastors in prison, that executes Journalists. Well, I should say this, that causes journalists to disappear and then never come back again. When that entity is happy that your guy won the election. Whoa. I mean, I'm convinced that a a strong majority of Biden voters have no idea what they just voted into office. China is ecstatic right now that Joe Biden is in office. He was their guy during the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, and he's still their guy today. He has made it very clear. One of his spokespeople came out yesterday and said that China is a competitor, not an adversary. They're a competitor, not an opponent. That is code word for we're not going to hold China accountable. We're not going to support Hong Kong. We're certainly not going to support Taiwan. We're not going to call out what's happening in these Uyghur Muslim concentration camps. We're not going to call out their failures on the coronavirus. We're going to let them get away with it. We're going to rejoin the World Health Organization. It's already happening. that's that's the message out of the Biden administration. So again, I don't mean to be hyper partisan here, but I am being honest. China made it very clear yesterday. Good riddance Trump. they're celebrating his leaving the office and then placing a bunch of sanctions on individuals on the way out. It's wild stuff while they are celebrating the rise of Joe Biden. And if that's not a telling sign to Americans, even Americans that supported Biden, of what he is truly about and what he is going to do in office over the next few years. I don't I don't know what it is. Again, I pray he doesn't. I pray he has a sudden awakening, and I believe that he can. I actually believe that no one is beyond redemption. I believe that Biden could actually turn from his ways, that he could say, you know what, I do rec- I do recognize the threat that China is to not only its own people, but also to governments around the world and to people around the world. I'm going to do the right thing and hold them accountable. I pray that he will, and I believe that he could. But I do believe that yesterday was, a, I hope, a wake-up call for many people that even supported Biden to realize, guys, all the cards are on the table. We know what's happening now. There's nothing hidden. They're being very blatant and obvious about it. And Some people are still choosing to say, well, no, you know, I, I don't think China's that big of a threat, or I don't think it really matters as much as, as the right says it, it does, or whatever it might be. There's actually a lot of journalists that I really respect that are down the middle or even a little left-leaning that are very cognizant and aware of how big of a threat China is, and they're calling it out. Um, and they're not happy with Biden right now. They don't. believe, they believe one of the, the biggest downfalls of an incoming Biden administration is how he uh, has explicitly stated that he is not going to hold China accountable as an adversary. Um, he'll treat them more as just a global competitor. So anyways... Ultimately, the Biden administration is not off to a good start. They signed 17 executive orders on their first day in office. Um, And I want to read you this piece that Ryan Savidra wrote in The Daily Wire. He said, President Joe Biden signed 17 executive orders on his first day in office, which included a number of controversial actions that took political aim at erasing as much of President Donald Trump's presidency as possible. Uh, The move by Biden comes after he repeatedly called for unity during his inaugural address on Wednesday afternoon. One of the most controversial executive orders that Biden signed unilaterally eviscerated women's sports. Author and women's rights activist Abigail Schreier wrote on Twitter, any educational institution that receives federal funding must admit biologically male athletes to women's teams, women's scholarships, etc. A new glass ceiling was just placed over girls. I talked about this in our Tuesday episode. Here's what the executive order states in part. Every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear no matter who they are or whom they love. Children should be able... So there you go. There's your first sentence that's very unifying in language. It sounds really nice. What does that actually look like? That's the question we need to be asking over and over and over again over the next four years. Okay. Stop with the words. Stop with the nice messaging. Stop with the unity stuff. What are you actually going to do? Here's what they're actually going to do. Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. So mind you, Biden has extended that all the way down to eight-year-olds, which means your eight-year-old daughter can be in a bathroom and an eight-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl can come into that bathroom and share that bathroom with your daughter. That's what that looks like practically. That means if your daughter's on a sports team in high school and there's a boy who is 6'2", and he weighs 200 pounds, and he's absolutely ripped, but he says, you know what, I I think I'm actually a girl, and I'd like to pursue that lifestyle. That person now has a pathway to becoming uh, a competitor to your daughter on that sports team. This is a complete distortion and perversion of gender. So that beginning statement sounds great. It's the hook, line, and sinker that gets people in. And then what does it actually look like? Well, it looks like a complete perversion of God's design of male and female, even as young as elementary school kids. So that's, that's where we're going there. Biden signed another executive order that forced the U.S. to rejoin the Paris Agreement, a move that was quickly slammed by Heritage Foundation senior advisor Mike Howell, who wrote, and this is great, That will be cheered by environmental alarmists and those who envision a world with the United States subservient to international organizations as their preferred model. The Paris Agreement was, and always has been, a sham, and it's an expensive sham for Americans, projected to cost 400,000 jobs, an average income loss of more than $20,000 for families of four, and a $2.5 trillion hit to the nation's gross domestic product. Biden also axed the Keystone XL Pipeline, an energy project that was beneficial for the United States, and quickly triggered negative reactions from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who said that he was disappointed. By the way, guys, if Canada believes that you're too environmentally radical, we're in trouble. Uh, I grew up in Canada for a little while, lived there for a few years while I was growing up. I'm very uh, in tune with Canadian politics. I follow Canadian politics closely. Trust me, if Canada believes you're too environmentally radical, we are in a bad spot. (laughs) Um, Biden also canceled the Trump administration's 1776 commission, which sought to undo damage in from propaganda like um, – or excuse me. Biden also canceled the Trump administration's 1776 commission, which sought to undo damage – Uh, from propaganda like the New York Times flawed 1619 project and to promote patriotism. So Trump was really trying to promote patriotism in U.S. education and to stop this distorted revisionist view of history found in curriculum items like the 1619 project. Biden canceled that day one. Victor Davis Hanson, who was on the commission, wrote the following about it. Unanimously approved conclusions focused on the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the historical challenges to these founding documents, and the need for civic renewal. The 16-member commission was diverse in the widest sense of the word. It included historians, lawyers, academic scholars, authors, former elected officials, and fo- former public servants. Biden erased all this. Whether because the report was issued by a Donald Trump-appointed commission or because the conclusions questioned the controversial and flawed New York Times-sponsored 1619 Project, the left almost immediately criticized it. By the way, 1619 Project is full of historical inaccuracies, so much so to the point where they've actually had to publicly come out and apologize for some of the ways in which they've distorted the truth. Let me keep going. Biden also signed a slew of orders related to immigration, including eliminating the Trump administration's travel ban from areas that are known terrorist hotspots, eliminating construction of of effective border barriers on southern border, extending deferrals for deportations 100 days out, undoing Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement inside the U.S. and providing protections for DACA recipients. Biden also signed an executive order that requires non-citizens to be counted in the census. There's a lot of destructive ramifications of that, by the way. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Former Trump administration senior advisor Stephen Miller responded to the moves by writing on Twitter. Today, President of the United States pledged to be a president for all Americans. It's unclear how all Americans are served by opening travel from terror hotspots, proposing a giant amnesty, or halting the installation of security bearers along the southwest border. CNN also noted that Biden launched a 100-day mask mandate that requires people to wear masks on federal property which is something that Biden actually violated last night while at the Lincoln Memorial. He didn't wear a mask and it was federal property. So day one, he already broke his own rules. Again, these rules are just for show. They're just for image. They're to make it look like, look, I care, mask mandates. I believe this helped. Even though, by the way, 80% of Americans, statistics show, already wear masks voluntarily. So a mask mandate does nothing. It is for show. It's just like so many of the different virtue signaling motions that were put forth in the Obama presidency. We are seeing Obama 2.0 right now. Biden also stopped the U.S. from withdrawing from the World Health Organization after the Trump administration moved to leave the WHO last year, following its highly controversial handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Again, all that does is help China. Biden also created a COVID-19 response coordinator, which is something the Trump administration also essentially had on their coronavirus task force. Uh, Biden also extended a pause on student loan payments and extended a moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until at least March 31st. CNN added that Biden also signed an executive order that Quote, requires executive branch appointees to sign an ethics pledge barring them from acting in personal interest and requiring them to uphold the independence of the Department of Justice. This order comes, by the way, as Biden's son, Hunter Biden, is still under federal criminal investigation over his business dealings, many of which happened in China. So ultimately, that was the first day of the Biden administration. A lot happened. We're going to continue covering this over the next few weeks. I, like I mentioned in Tuesday's episode, he has quite a lot of plans for the first 100 days of his administration. I also am going to talk a lot next week, guys, about the specifics of where they're going in relation to uh, how they treat their opposition. And this is this is a big point. Um, and I'm, I'm hesitant to get too much into it now because we're going to have an entire episode about this next week. But they, they don't have Trump to set as their opposition anymore. Trump is no longer able to be the object of their opposition. They, they now need a new enemy because, again, they have made it very clear that it's not like all of a sudden, now that Trump's out of office, they're just going to sing Kumbaya. They have a new target and it is anyone right of center. They have said that they need to cleanse Trump's movement And they said that they need to uh, re-educate and rehabilitate his movement, deprogram Trump's followers. That was Katie Couric's language the other day. Well, so now they view extremists as anyone right of center. They they have said that they are coming after, quote unquote, bigots. But the problem is, who gets to—I don't like bigots. I think bigotry is a problem. But the problem is, who gets to define what a bigot actually is? Philip Dick said, the, the basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who must use the words. So who gets to determine and define right-wing extremism when all of the major institutions in our society, governmentally and privately, big tech, big business, multinational corporations that are very focused on virtue signaling, paired with the government, federal government, Senate, uh, the House, and the presidency, all those entities are all agree on a definition of what is a bigot and it is inherently anyone who supported Trump, anyone who is right of center, that's a really big problem. And I don't say that to concern us, but I do say that to prepare us. We need to be sober-minded about the fact that the, the, the major power structures in society do not like the way that I view the world. And there's a lot of us. So we can have strength in numbers and stand up, but it actually takes standing up and not just rolling over and saying, well, this is just how it is now. And so we need to be really deliberate about how we stand up. And so I I want to give um, a a few examples of what we do now. Where do we go from here? How do we actually take a stand? Uh, What are some practical steps that we can do to prepare ourselves for what's coming more than anything else? And Sean Foyt, who's a good friend of mine, he's a worship leader, he actually released uh, this little Instagram last night that I thought worded this really well. So I want to articulate this, these few points that he puts out there of how we can respond to what's coming. He said, number one, worship God because he reigns above it all. Our worship does not change with the weather, regardless if you find yourself happy, sad, or indifferent surrounding this election outcome. We worship. It is our place of authority, perspective, and divine intelligence to see what God is doing and join in what heaven is declaring. The whole earth is full of your glory, Isaiah 6.3. It is not the last thing we resort to in uncertain times like these, but the first thing, Psalm 34.1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Number two, pray for Biden and our nation. And I want to take this even farther and say pray for the corporations, too. Pray for any institution of power in the United States, that they would actually embrace a message that says, you know what, even if we disagree with what you have to say, we'll fight to the death for your right to say it. We're not just going to try to silence you. We're not just going to weaponize these different institutions of society to come after you, just like uh, Obama did with the IRS and the Tea Party movement and everything that happened in that fiasco, we're not going to do that again. We are going to embrace maturity and say, you know what, let's come together and share differences of opinions, even if we strongly disagree with your opinion. That's what we need to pray for amongst those that have power in our society. We have a mandate as believers to pray for our elected leaders. This is Sean saying, this is a call to pray regardless of our approval or disapproval of their ideals, policies, or personality. So we need to do that. We need to pray for those that disagree with us. There is so much at stake, and the next hundred days will be key for this administration and the nation. Supernatural events can take place when believers pray. The Bible's full of it. It is prayer that positions us to align with God's, hearts in, God's heart and his desires for our world. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. My prayer is that uh, the government, basically, this sounds bad, but any of the decisions that Biden is planning on making over the next 100 days, that he would essentially change his mind. Um, that is my prayer. And I pray that uh, he would be blessed by the Lord in the process and that he would uh, recognize that the, the Lord loves him and that he would turn from any ways uh, in which his life is not aligned with the Lord. Number three, stand for the truth, even if it means stare, standing alone. The enemy is launching an all-out attack on truth, attacking the Bible and uh, God's sacred design for the family, sexuality, gender. Isaiah tells us, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. The truth of God is written on the hearts of man and is not diminished by sinful confusion or worldly opinion. Arm yourself with the truth and stand firm, even if it means standing alone. So if you have an opportunity to speak truth, if you're asked about why you have the hope you have in Jesus and what that actually means, if you're asked for what is truth the famous question. If you're asked that, be prepared to stand up. Read a lot of books. Spend the next uh, few months arming yourself with truth. Read the scriptures. Get very acquainted with God's stance on different hot-button issues because it's going to matter. And uh, there's going to be opportunities that come up where we're going to be able to present that truth. And so we want to be armed and ready and equipped. We want to be able to share the truth of the gospel um, and the truth of God's heart towards different issues when it's time to do so. Ephesians six fourteen says, "Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of righteousness in place." Number four, and this is the final one he mentioned. And I love this. Never bow to culture. A time of testing is coming in some form or another. The mob wants you to bow down and worship the new gods of secular liberalism. Liberalism—that's what they've made clear. And you may be totally disagreeing with me, and you may love the direction we're going in. Um, I would love to have a conversation with you uh, about why you believe that's the case, but I know lots of friends that even feel that way. I personally believe that the world that's being created in front of our eyes is one where the power structures in society say, agree with us or you're banned. Agree with us or you're silenced. Agree with us or we're coming after you. So the that mob wants you to bow down and worship these new gods of secular liberalism. And if you're not with us, you're against us. That's essentially what they're saying. Those who refuse will be bullied, harassed, and threatened with banishment from the public square. We've already seen this either in person or digitally in the public square. Proverbs tells us that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Remember the words of Isaiah, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Be bold, stand tall, don't bow. If you're fighting for truth and you're being persecuted, blessed are you. If you're standing for truth and it's very culturally unpopular, good news. Jesus has been there too. The apostles have been there too. The disciples have been there too. Daniel 3.18, but even if he doesn't, your majesty may be sure that we will not worship your God, and we will not bow down to the gold statue that you have set up. So we will focus on the one true God. We will focus on objective truth in a sea of subjectivity. We will focus on objective truth in a world of moral relativism, where all belief systems are equally seen as true, except for those pesky conservatives. Uh, We're going to stand true stand for truth in a time of testing. So those are a few awesome encouragements of what we need to be setting our sights on as we head into this next administration. Again, I pray that, um, I pray that my expectations are reversed as his heart, Biden and Harris's hearts turn more to the Lord. That is my prayer ultimately. But if it doesn't, we know what to prepare for. So I'm going to leave this episode there today. It's been such a blast to speak with you all today about these important political, cultural, and faith topics. I'm looking forward to next week. We've got some big topics that we're going to discuss, like I sort of gave a preview for today. So it's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you for tuning in. As always, remember, if you like this show, make sure to share the show with your community, and I will see you next time. Thanks so much. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.